Okay, welcome back and thank you for being here. Um, today, continuing the... I'm going to wrap up today at last. <laughs> Sundaraka Bharadvaja Sutta from Sutta Nipata. It's um, Sutta Nipata 3-4, meaning chapter 3, Sutta 4. And last time we got into the complexity of uh, comparison between the Buddhist understanding of the goal, sometimes called Nibbana, or the deathless, or unbinding, and the Vedantic conception of the goal, moksha, liberation, also called um, self with a capital S, or the union of um, Atman or Jivatman and para, Paramatman or Paraparaman, which to me, um, you know, that Vedantic view is very well expressed in the raw material where we understand that um, entities leaving six density, where Ra is, say, Ra said, then they will no longer experience memory and identity when they go to seven or out of the octave. And basically then uh, the being that of this octave uh, from Atmanic consciousness, unified self-consciousness, leaves that, leaving six density, goes into seven and then eight, drops identity and memory, and can be said to be at one with the Logos. The sub-sub-Logos Atman seems to unify with the sub-Logos Solar, uh, which is um, personal identity in time and space based logos or sub-sub-logos Atman leaving this octave of time and space and a personalized identity going to eighth density or the next octave becoming one or in some sense with logos or sub-logos solar uh, and that very much looks to me like um, Jivatman becoming one with Paramatman from the Hindu conception uh, is that different than the Buddhist view? Some Buddhists say yes, some Buddhists say no. Um, Tanisaro seems to be in the side that says it's not necessarily... He doesn't really say that it's the same. But he does um, use this term Vijnanam Anidasanam. And that's what we looked into last time. Particularly in the essay from uh, Ajahn Sujato. Uh, the title he wrote is Nibbana is not Vijnana, really, it just isn't. And he's against those who say or seem to imply that a cosmic consciousness Nibbana uh, is Moksha, where he's using different suttas uh, as well as um, Upanishad, Brihardaranaka. Uh, Upanishad to say that the the, the, the Gautama mentioned that uh, the all includes consciousness and that enlightenment the complete and perfect enlightenment enlightenment without remainder uh, the end of the path is clearly beyond all of the aggregates including consciousness the aggregates five skandhas that constitute what's commonly taken as identity. 
personal sense of self, whether it's in sixth density or third. There's a sense of personal self, right? In sixth density, Ra said they have a, they know that we we have become light. We no longer seek light. We become light, meaning their identity is uh, as the one light. Leaving six, they go to seven. They drop identity. They no longer perceive I am the one light or I am light that is one. Uh, now, in the Buddhist view, uh, leaving, uh, moving to enlightenment is going beyond the all. And that means going beyond consciousness. Meanwhile, there is indeed this term, Vijnanam Anidasanam, which can be translated as um, consciousness, uh, consciousness without surface or non-manifest. And there is a phrase, um, I think it's in Majima Nikaya 49, but it's not clear. I've been looking around and it's not so clear. Vijnanam anidasanam anantam sabbo pabbam. And Sujato translates it as consciousness non-manifest, infinite, radiant all around. The point is where some people take, including um, uh, Tanisaro, take that phrase, Vijnana Anidasanam, which is a consciousness, Vijnana, Vijnanam, Anidasanam, without surface, without manifestation, as uh, beyond the all, meaning on the other side, meaning uh, associated with complete and perfect enlightenment or the deathless or unbinding, um, Sujato, with, with some good evidence, basically indicates or believes that that's associated simply with one of the higher jhanas. And that's where you get the big split between Buddhism and, and Vedanta, or Brahmanism of the time. And there's actually a sutta about that uh, directly, where uh, mythically or literally, Gautama is speaking to a higher dimensional Brahman, uh, as well as Mara coming through him. Where the standard perspective uh, is presented that um, the teaching of Vedanta only goes up to the formless jhanas, and they mistake the formless jhanas for complete and perfect uh, enlightenment, unbinding liberation. Thus, some Buddhists would say, or a, many Theravada Buddhists perhaps may say, um, Buddhism goes further than Brahmanism or Vedanta. The Brahmins, the Vedantists, uh, mistake uh, infinite consciousness or uh, the higher, I mean, that's one of the four formless jhanas, which, by the way, seem to look a little bit like six or seven density awareness or even seven. Uh, mistaking infinite consciousness, which in the Buddhist understanding is associated with the higher jhanas, formless jhanas like five perception of infinity of space, six, perception of infinity of consciousness. So six jhana looks like it could be vijnana manidasanam. And that's where Sujata is coming from. He's say, basically saying, while there is this phrase, <laughs> vijnana manidasanam, it doesn't pertain to complete and perfect enlightenment or unbinding or the deathless. It pertains to what? Fifth, sixth, seventh, uh, or, or fifth or sixth jhana. And that's the standard Theravada view, it seems to me. That's what I learned long ago, that the Brahman system, the Vedantic system, 
the the teachers that Gautama went to before his complete and perfect enlightenment uh, teach mistakenly that those higher states are the goal in moksha and Gautama said no it's not because there still remains some desire and there still remains some sense of identity and then we have somebody like Nichinanda or, Ram, or, or Ramana Maharshi or Nisargadatta um, as examples to me some of the higher uh, teachers of the Advaita Vedanta uh, you mean that they're just stuck in a higher jhana well uh, I don't think so I mean I, how do I know but uh, ultimately here you know this is a specialist discussion talking about uh, the goal as enunciated of Vedanta or the Brahmanical tradition at best, at best, it doesn't mean everybody understands it, but at best, is that goal the same or not the same as the goal of, of Buddha, uh, Pali Buddha Dhamma? My sense is it is, and using the term Vijnanamanidasanam, um, is just, it just so happens to be a term that basically, uh, associ it's associated with the pre-Buddhist Brahmanical tradition and just happens to use the word consciousness, uh, but it's not the same as the fifth skanda or aggregate consciousness, which is intrinsically associated with ignorance and um, conceit or a sense of identity or a, a delusive, illusory, mistaken selfhood. So consciousness without surface or unmanifest, is it the same or different than the previous uses of the word consciousness where it's considered part of the all, meaning something that needs to be dropped or naturally is dropped by one who gets unbinding and deathless. Is it or is it not um, the basic same consciousness or is it just a higher jhana uh, or indeed does it happen to be, is there indeed some kind of consciousness awareness beyond the octave? Well, I mean, in a certain sense, um, we, we can be pretty clear that the goal or the deathless or where the, where the Buddha goes or what happens to the Buddha is not annihilation. <laughs> to say that uh, Gautama or anyone <clears throat> follows the path akin to seven-dimensional soul evolution and at the end of it becomes annihilated, uh, I just don't think that's the case. <laughs> that's basically a kind of metaphysical materialism. It's a very high level of uh, spiritual materialism where what? There's a presumption that on the other side uh, of the ocean of birth and death, which is the all, which includes the five skandhas, which includes that personalized consciousness or vijnana, there's no existence, there's annihilation. Well, Gautama's answer was you can't talk about it or we don't know, so don't, don't speculate. But to imagine that the, the purpose of the path is to get out of the all, including the mistaken levels of consciousness or mistaken consciousness associated with desire and conceit and suffering, all that, <clears throat> ignorance, based in ignorance, to get out of the whole thing to be annihilated, uh, I think that that's silly. So clearly, Gautama, wherever he is, however he is, in the all, he's become the all or he's around, so, you know, surmounted the all of the octave. Oh, with some awareness. <laughs> Clearly, he's got some awareness. 
And whether we call that Vijnanam Anidasanam or cosmic consciousness doesn't matter to me because clearly uh, the Buddhist understanding of the uh, what's beyond the all, Saba, um, is not non-existence. It's neither existence nor non-existence. Meaning, you can't say it's eternal and you can't say that it's um, temporary. In that light, I'm going to jump around a bit here, <clears throat> uh, where we started <laughs> as uh, Sundaraka Bharadvaja Sutta, and this is, you know, this, this is going to be a playing around today in the sense that I'm not going to work through one sutta, I'm going to go through half a dozen and uh, end up where uh, George Harrison was. Uh, tomorrow never knows. Uh, just to wrap up, <laughs> Gautama's basic um, synopsis of his attainment to the um, Bharadvaja clan Sundaraka at the Sundaraka River um, shows us um, where he is and then how some people, I think, also get, uh, they, they get uh, trapped in the thicket of views and that um, since we can, I think, reasonably be reasonably be sure that Gautama or those that leave the octave do not uh, get extinguished and annihilated, and and their existence, they there is existence beyond the octave, <laughs> beyond birth and death. There is something. There is uh, more than annihilation. There's not quite annihilation or extinction. There's extinction of identification with light. There's extinction of all ignorance of vidya and craving, passion, desire. Yeah, of course. There's extinction of believing that I is the five aggregates, including consciousness and mind, or, or sankara. Yeah, but life goes on. And uh, the towards the end, as I've done before, of Sundarka Bharadvaja Sutta, Gautama's explaining where he's at. Uh, as the phrase, the, the last paragraph I've said before, he said of himself, whose violence is fully gone, and by the way, violence means any kind of uh, aggression, including mental, and that's very subtle, actually, when you see, consider what violence is. There are many subtle, subtle levels of violence even interrupting uh, a person in discussion, or disallowing the continued flow of our own thinking-feeling. Could be called violence. He said of himself, whose violence is fully gone, whose mind is limpid, clear, whose sloth or laziness is dispelled, fully freed from sensuality, which means sensory attachment to sensory experience, including mind-sense, including uh, a, no more attachment to the mental process. One who has subdued boundaries, a master of birth and death, a sage consummate in sagacity, meaning wisdom. And that got us to uh, the sagacity, uh, the types of sagacity or wisdom being of body, my spirit, where of body, it's basically several of Panchashila, not harming physically, not harming verbally. I mean, not harming physically and not um, 
uh, getting involved in sexual or intoxicants or stealing activity mm, and verbally not falling into wrong speech and mentally basically being free of all um, attachment, craving, clinging. Uh, that mastery or sagacity wisdom of um, body, mind, spirit or mind, speech, uh, or you know, deed, speech, and mind is a kind of mastery of the all. And when we're looking at the all, we went to the Sabha Sutta before. Let me, this is Samutta Nikaya 3523. This again is going to be somewhat a review. <laughs> Uh, but I'm trying to gonna wrap it all together. And so what is the all, Gautama asked? He said, simply the eye and forms, ear and sounds, nose and aromas, tongue and flavors, body and tactile sensations, intellect and ideas. That's called the all. And he said, anyone who would say, repudiating this all, I'll describe another, if questioned on exactly what might be the grounds for his statement, meaning I'll talk about something beyond this all, would be unable to explain and furthermore would be put to grief. Why? Because it lies beyond range. And so, uh, complete and perfect enlightenment, the deathless or unbinding, obviously is beyond range. Meaning, it was an imponderable or inconceivable. Uh, but the question really, I mean, in a certain sense, this is uh, not a big problem. It's certainly not a problem for me because I am clear. <laughs> I think we should be that. Uh, there is existence and awareness beyond the octave, beyond the all of 31 planes. Uh, but um, pulling it together from Sujato, who said that uh, you can't use the term Vijnanam or the term Vijnanam Anidasanam used to describe. Uh, you, you was used to describe a formless jhana, not the goal, versus those who say that does describe the goal, and oh wow, it looks the same as the Brahmanical Vedantic conception of um, infinite awareness or infinite consciousness on the other side. Um, uh, it, it's just to help us rectify those two positions. They're the same, they're not the same. Uh, the Buddhist goal and the Hindu, or, or it's not really not Hindu, it's Vedantic goal, are the same, they're not the same. Everybody can figure that out. I think we can understand today, perhaps better than, than uh, previous centuries, uh, infinity is infinity. <laughs> beyond ignorance or beyond uh, the all of the octave, there is life. Uh, whether you call it consciousness or awareness or infinite or not, is fine. Meanwhile, there are formless jhanas or six and seven density life where there is a perception of some relative infinitude, boundlessness of space like light or consciousness, awareness, and that's not the goal either. So um, seventh density in many ways is sort of a um, the infinity of the all of the octave while eighth density and beyond this octave, we have the infinity of what is prior to the all of light. <laughs> if you're still with me. 
So commentary from Tanisaro, uh he said that, um, again, there are many other discourses in the canon specifically stating that unbinding lies beyond the range of the six senses and their objects, meaning the all. Uh, Sutta Nipata 5.6 says, indicates that a person who's attained unbinding has gone beyond all phenomena, sabe dhamma, and therefore cannot be described. Right? So we can't describe what's on the other side of the all. Samutra Nikaya 35.117 speaks of a dimension, and I'm going to look into that, that is to be experienced with a cessation of the six sense media and the fading of their objects. And that's the point. If you really want to look at um, the goal or approaching the goal, there's no more perception. There's no more consciousness. Yeah, there's no more uh, dualistic consciousness, meaning subject, object, or subjectivist consciousness. There's no more experience that is subjectivist. Subjectivist means I'm here and you're over there. I'm me and you're there. There's a center point to this awareness. That's gone. The, the totality becomes the center point. There's no center point but totality. There's no subject but the object. Subject and object have become one. And so the knower and the known are known as one. And that's exactly what Brahmanism is talking about. Then, Majjhima Nikaya 49 discusses consciousness without surface, that is not experienced through the allness of the all. And another place, Samutta Nikaya 35.24 says that the all is to be abandoned. And of course we don't abandon unbinding. Unbinding follows on cessation, which is to be realized. And so realizing cessation including includes realization of the cessation of subjectivist experience, meaning dualistic awareness that I am a center point subject and what I'm observing or perceiving is an apparently external other object. That whole thing's finished. Well, <laughs> the Brahmins say the same thing. Hmm. So that's not so surprising. Now, when we look into the, the details of it, uh, we get into all sorts of very complicated matters. It was Tanisaro, actually, who said, uh, talked about uh, one form of consciousness apparently doesn't come under the aggregate of consciousness, meaning one usage of the term consciousness, vijnanamadidasanam, doesn't come under the aggregate of consciousness. It's, so we're talking about something like consciousness. I mean, he's against, or he's in the camp that Sujato, John Sujato disagrees with. Where he's saying, and this is from the Mahapunyama Punama Sutta. Mahapunyama Sutta. I'll send the link. <laughs> there are many of these little choice um, portions. Mahapunyama Punama Sutta. The Great Full Moon Night Discourse, uh, Majigama Nikaya 109. And Tanisaro makes that note right there with his view that one form of consciousness apparently doesn't come under the aggregate of consciousness, meaning fifth skanda. This is called Vijnana Maridasanam, consciousness without, consciousness without surface, consciousness without feature. It's clearly consciousness. And I would just say, okay, they're using the word consciousness because they weren't. Um, anti-Brahmanical, they were coming out of that. And many of the Arhats were Brahmins. 
And then he says that Vajrayamanakaya 49, which is not this Mahapunama Sutta, says specifically that this consciousness doesn't partake of the allness of the all, the all being coterminous with the five aggregates, including consciousness. But this is a different kind of consciousness. It's without surface or feature or unmanifest. Uh, and, you know, us who have no problem saying that, okay, well, they use the word consciousness, but it's not fits kind of consciousness, fine. Uh, and that doesn't really sound much different than the Brahmanical, Brahmanical Vedantic view of what moksha is, which includes the word self. Uh, we have no problem with that. Some people do. He said, the standard definition of the aggregate of consciousness in the fifth skanda consciousness states that this aggregate includes all consciousness, past, present, future, near, and far. He goes on, however, because Vijnanam Anidasanam stands outside of space and time, hmm, it would not be covered by these terms. And similarly, he says, Samutta Nikaya 22.97 says that no consciousness is eternal, right? Fifth skanda, dualistic consciousness. Eternal, quote, is a concept that applies only within the dimension of time and thus would not apply to this form of consciousness. And that's where you get the point that... Um, just a second. Okay. That's where you get the point that uh, we can't use dualistic language. We cannot use concept to describe that which is non-dual or beyond the five aggregates, or beyond this all of the octave. Uh, essential matters that are, that are non-dual cannot be fully understood by dual, dualistic language or thought. <clears throat> and on the page that I brought before, uh, which is called Existence and the All from Dhamma Wheel, uh, Gautama, just a second. Uh, Gautama, uh, this is actually Samutta Nikaya twelve forty eight, <laughs> and whoever is making this post uh, uploaded it. Somebody named Sylvester in uh, August seventeen, twenty sixteen, in this discussion of existence and the all and what's beyond it, and is there anything what's beyond range. Uh, he brought in a little portion from Samutta Nikaya 1248, it seems. Uh, at Savati, then a Brahmin who was a cosmologist, hey, hey, probably a wanderer, approached the Blessed One and said to him, How is it, Master Gautama? Does all exist? All exists? This Brahmin is the oldest cosmology. So he doesn't say all exists. <coughs> Gautama doesn't say, yes, all exists. He says, all exists, that, that belief, is the oldest cosmology. Then Master Gautama, and, and so the Brahmin cosmologist, thinking that Gautama didn't say, since he didn't say, yes, he didn't agree, yes, all exists, that that means maybe it doesn't. So then... Master Gautama, he goes on, does all not exist? Meaning nihilism. So there's eternalism versus nihilism. Gautama then replies, all does not exist. This Brahman is the second cosmology. 
So he's not saying, he's not affirming either. He doesn't affirm eternalism, all exists. He doesn't affirm nihilism or nothingness. This is a misunderstanding of emptiness, meaning all doesn't exist. He just says that's the second cosmology. So eternalism, all is, is the first cosmology. All is not, said the guys who um, were aggressive around him. That's the second cosmology. The cosmologist goes on, how is it, Master Gautama? Is all a unity? Uh, 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 uh. And this is, here's where we clearly see a difference between Buddha Dhamma and the Vedantic view. So he goes on. Sorry, somebody called. Uh, he asks Gautama, how is it, Master Gautama? Is all a unity? Now, many people in the raw material community, law of one community, would say, yes, all is one. Gautama doesn't say so. Gautama says, all is a unity. This Brahman is the third cosmology. So he doesn't affirm unity. Then, <laughs> the guy goes on, then Master Gautama is all a plurality, meaning multiplicity. Meaning, if you can't affirm, see, non-affirmation, is not negation. Hmm. Non-affirmation is non-affirmation. Uh, am I... Uh, do you love me? I will not say. <laughs> That's not... No, I don't. It's... I will not say. Well, then, you don't love me? I will not say. <laughs> like that. So, he doesn't affirm all is a unity. And then, of course, the guy, the Brahmin cosmologist says, well, is all a plurality? And Gautama says, all is a plurality. This Brahmin is the fourth cosmology. So, the first cosmology is eternalism. All exists. All, meaning all the, you know, <laughs> all 31 planes, seven dimensions, uh, physical, non-physical, physical, metaphysical, whatever we say, totality, exists. Well, I existence here is not used in the sense of appearance. <clears throat> here, existence is used in the sense that of eternalism. It is and shall always... It, it is because it is substantial. It's a substantial extant and shall remain so because it's, it, it's uh, not temporary. Or it, it, the appearance is a substantial reality. Gautama doesn't sign on to that and says that's just the first cosmology. The counter to that, which is, all doesn't exist, there's nothing, there is no self, right? Uh -huh, uh -huh. So you can say, does all exist is comparable to, there is a self? Gautama just said, for the uh, all, that's the oldest cosmology. The next is, it doesn't exist, so, and Gautama says, well, that's the second cosmology, all doesn't exist, there's nothing, nothing is nothing. Uh, there's no self, there's no reality, there's no life, there's no light, there's no none, none, none. That's the hardcore skeptic position, the uh, Tarvakas who keep going around in third density. He just says that's the second cosmology. He won't sign on to that either. So he doesn't affirm either polarized view. Neither does he affirm unity nor polarity, meaning that what appears as many, obviously, uh, is not a unity. He doesn't affirm it. He doesn't deny it, but he doesn't affirm it. And then you can say that um, 
not affirming it is a form of denying it? Yeah, he's not affirming it's true. He's simply saying it's a view. It's the third cosmology, the law of one. See, Ra has not finished identity and memory, okay? Ra is not out of the octave. They're not finished. Presumably, he seems to be finished. The fourth, then, is all is a plurality, meaning the appearance of the many is substantial and real, meaning that it, it's what? An eternal many? In any case, whatever that means, all is a plurality, or multiplicity is real and substantial, extant, not just illusory. He just said, all is a plurality, this Brahman is the fourth cosmology. And he concludes and says, without veering towards either of these extremes, the Tathagata teaches the Dhamma by the middle. Now that is not Vedanta. <clears throat> now maybe it's Advaita Vedanta. I haven't seen it. Maybe... Um, Adi Shankara, Shankara, maybe he spoke that. He was very kind of Buddhist influenced, the founder of Advaita Vedanta, Adi Shankara, Shankara. Maybe, <clears throat> but commonly Vedanta will affirm um, all is um, eternal or all is one, like the raw material. Uh, Buddhism is very deliberately a middle path teaching between affirmation and negation. That That's where you really, where I don't see, I mean, there may be Advaita Vedanta teaching like it, but I haven't seen it. Most Advaita Vedanta teaching that I've seen, yes, does appear to fall into uh, the extreme of eternalism or affirmation. A affirmation and negation are equally illusory. That's the point. They're equally distorted meaning within a octave of uh, ins of light, <laughs> within the 31 planes and the seven dimensions, to affirm and to negate are equally distorted. So seems to be the view here. And I think uh, that is certainly a Nagarjuna teaching middle path, middle way, Madhyamaka, middle way teaching of uh, basically... <clears throat> explaining the, the philosophy of Buddhism where it neither affirms nor negates, not veering towards either of these extremes, stating it is or it isn't. It's all, it's many, it's real, it's unreal, there's a self, there's a not-self. All of that has been rejected. I will not affirm. That's why there was a passage long, long ago where somebody asked Sariputta or somebody, <clears throat> what do you, what's your view? And he basically said, whatever is subject to origination is subject to cessation. <laughs> That's it. So, knowing that um, any view um, of illusory <clears throat> or um, three, characteristic, three, phenom three characteristic phenomena, meaning anicca dukkha, <clears throat> where phenomena or experience is all impermanent, or pre-enlightenment experience is uh, impermanent, appears to be, and insubstantial and stressful. Knowing that all experience pre-enlightenment and all phenomena pre-enlightenment is seen that way, uh, impermanent, insubstantial, and stressful, 
the only <clears throat> view that is safe to get out of that whole mass of, of illusion and um, birth, continual birth and death based on ignorance. I mean, illusion equals avidya. So the Hindus say illusion, and the Buddhists say avidya. Same. It's maya. It's basically <clears throat> a, a false uh, appearance or appearance and reality being distinct, separate, that things are not what they see and how things are not how they appear, nor are they otherwise. <clears throat> so based in avidya, which is not much different than calling it illusory, uh, pre-enlightenment experience and apparent phenomena being of uh, being a, being of impermanence and insubstantiality and stress, it's not wise <laughs> to get attached to view, or all view is inadequate. Therefore, the views that are established by affirmation and views that are established by negation, which is really the same, if I affirm this, I'm negating its, its opposite, those are called the extremes that are avoided. And so that's why <clears throat> Buddhism is very sophisticated, I think. And so uh, mm, that's something to bear in mind. Uh, how are we with this? This is uh, flying, flying around here. Oh, <clears throat> the the source of this phrase Vijnana uh, Manirasanam uh, appears to be a, a Brahma invitation. The Brahma Nimantanika Sutta Nimantanika Sutta Majjhima Nikaya 49 It's a somewhat long sutta and I'm not going to read it all it's quite intricate, and the 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 uh, setting that Tanisaro wrote as introduction. I don't know if I can send you the link. I'll send the link here. Tanisaro Bhikkhu says in this sutta the Buddha faces two antagonists, Bra Baka, Baka in Japanese means stupid, Baka, a Brahma who believes that his Brahma attainment is the highest attainment there is, right? That's back to this notion that the Brahmins or the Vedantists got stuck in the higher, uh, uh, took the higher formless jhanas for moksha, mistakenly. And the second antagonist is Mara, who wants two things. One, to keep Baka under his power by allowing Baka to maintain his deluded opinion. So 4D negative is very happy to keep the 3D negative repeaters uh, ignorant. <laughs> That's a, an extrapolation. So <clears throat> the higher level negatives um, maintain the, the ignorance of their minions, as we can see quite clearly in the world. And two, to prevent the Buddha from sharing his awakened knowledge with others. So negatives also seek to prevent the spread of love light or truth or principles of evolution. Of the two, Mara is the more insidious of course, <laughs> the minion is just the front piece or proxy for the, his master behind him. Mara is the more insidious, a point illustrated by the fact that Mara always speaks through someone else. Sounds like Satan, right? And never directly shows his face. Mm -hmm. And 
then he says another interesting point is illustrated by the fact that Mara is the source of the demand that one obey a creator God. Oh, oh, oh. So now we're seeing the same linkage. We're seeing a point of linkage between the distortions of Brahmanism, Brahmanical tradition. You know, you know, there's original Vedanta, and then there's the Brahmanism of Gautama's day. And that's the point. Gautama in elsewhere had said, we, we looked at this before, that the Brahmanism of his day had devolved <clears throat> and become significantly distorted from the original teachings of the yogis of the Vedantins that, that formed the tradition, not the source. Gautama said that directly in a previous Sutta Napata Sutta. And so, don't judge Vedanta by distorted Brahmanism. Boom. Don't judge Buddha Dhamma by distorted Lamaism. Boom. Don't judge Buddha Dhamma by monks and nuns and students who are not completely uh, liberated or beyond birth and death, like we're in all of us. <laughs> Meaning, uh, we're just offering our opinions. There are <clears throat> some Ajans, absolutely, and Sayadaw from Burma, and Ajahn from Thailand and Sri Lanka, others, who are finished. Um, and I'm not, and uh, you're not, and most monks and teachers in Buddhism are not. So, uh, don't take the unenlightened for the enlightened, uh, and therefore the unenlightened um, distort the original teaching of the founder of each tradition. So the Brahmins of Gautama's day may well have been stuck in higher jhanas considering them the goal, while the original Vedantic teaching didn't. But that devolvement, devolution from the original, from Vedanta, the core source Vedanta, to Gautama's day Brahmanism, akin to distortions of the priestly Jewish orthodoxy, Hebrew orthodoxy around Yeshua, which he condemned. Some people may think he shouldn't have. Um, whatever. He condemned them. Um, while said that uh, Abraham and uh, is not really your father, <clears throat> apparently um, uh, praising the founders and the originators uh, while criticizing their modern exponents, their current time representatives. And that's a very important point, is that um, the present manifestation of any teaching through its possibly unenlightened um, adherents and proponents of the day, should not be used to judge the original teaching. The original teaching is not the same as how it's changed <clears throat> uh, hundreds of years, several centuries and millennia uh, down the line to our present time. Down the line to our present time, centuries and millennia after the original Vedanta and the original Mosaic uh, dispensation or Abrahamic Abrahamic before Mosaic um, may well have been wonderful and excellent and then things change same thing with Christianity same thing with Islam <clears throat> so same thing with Buddhism absolutely and that's what happens and then this point oh Mara the evil one 
is the source of the demand that one obey a creator god. Hum, hum, hum. Well, thou shalt not, 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 Ross said, was a negatively oriented uh, teaching. Even though the things that were demanded or to be obeyed are in and of themselves uh, virtuous. Don't kill, don't cheat, don't steal, like Panchashila. Except there's a difference than difference between obeying commands <clears throat> and um, knowing that which is to my long-term welfare and benefit. In any case, down this way, down this sutta, the Brahma Nimantanika Sutta, <clears throat> it's very long, and maybe we'll get to it someday, but not fully today. Uh, Gautama was explaining his awareness, uh, his development. Uh, he basically, way down the page, he says, having directly known the all as the all, and having directly known the extent of what has not been experienced through the allness of the all. Again, having directly known the extent of what has not been experienced, what's beyond, what has not been experienced through the allness of the all, I wasn't the all, I wasn't in the all, I wasn't coming forth from the all, I wasn't, the all is mine. I didn't affirm the all. Thus I am not, and he said, thus I am not your mere equal in terms of direct knowing. So how could I be inferior? I am actually superior to you. Aha. <clears throat> uh -huh. And uh, this is, it's not clearly written, the dialogue, because there's a dialogue of this sutta. But first of all, Gautama is saying, I have directly known the all as the all. The 31 planes, the seven dimensions, the, the five aggregates, name and form, as they are. And I've, I also can know the extent of what has not been experienced through the allness of the all. Meaning, there's something beyond the allness of the all. <clears throat> He's directly known by Gnosis, Jnana, the extent of what has not been experienced or what cannot be experienced through the allness of the all presumes, it's, uh, implies that there's uh, that which has not been experienced through the all, <clears throat> meaning an experience <clears throat> distinct from the all, the all of uh, dualistic consciousness and 31 planes and perception. He, know, he knew, realized I wasn't the all, meaning he's no longer attached to identification with light. Boom, Ra said, we no longer seek light, we become light. Gautama realizes I wasn't the all of this light, the all light of the octave. I wasn't this light. I wasn't in this light, <clears throat> this boundless intelligent energy light that I used to be seeking that now I have become. <clears throat> so Ra says we've become the light. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. They think they become the light. They didn't become the light. They now identify mistakenly with the light. When they realize that they are not the light, they are the one that perceives identity with the light. Then they'll get out of six and drop identity and memory. Gautama sees, I am not the all. I wasn't the all. I wasn't in the all, meaning I'm not the same as this 31 planes or consciousness, meaning light. I'm not the infinitude of light. I'm not in this infinitude of light. I wasn't coming forth from the infinitude of light, meaning I have not arisen from it. Hmm. 
that's not to say I'm separate from it. He said, I wasn't coming forth from it. I, this, this all of boundless light of the octave is not my source. Mm. He said, I wasn't, the all is mine. <laughs> I, mean, I wasn't like, this all is mine. Meaning, he knew I wasn't doing this all is mine. He didn't claim, he didn't uh, come to a conclusion that the totality of light or infinitude of relative infinitude of light, right? It's the infinity of finity, the relative infinity of apparent finity of light. He knew that's not mine either. I'm not a thing holding it. I didn't affirm the all. Mm, he knew it was illusory. Thus, I am not your mere equal in terms of direct knowing. How could I be inferior? I'm actually superior. Now, <clears throat> the Brahman replies, If, good sir, you have directly known the extent of what has not been experienced through the allness of the all, may it not turn out to be actually vain and void for you. <laughs> Brahmins are aggressive to him. Then, I think, indeed, it's Gautama saying, Vijnanam anidasanam. Endless, radiant all around. So he's talking about what's beyond the allness of the all, and he said, uh, consciousness without surface, endless, radiant all around, there it is, 49, MN 49. Consciousness without surface, endless, radiant all around, has not been experienced through the allness of the all, or the all, the earthness of the earth, the liquidity of the liquid, fieriness of fire, windness of wind, the allness of the all. <clears throat> so, bang. Bang. That's it. He himself has said, not in the context of the higher jhanas, sorry, Ajahn uh, Sujato, he's not talking about higher jhanas, <laughs> he's talking about what's beyond the allness of the all. He's known the allness of the all, and he's known what's not, he could recognize, he's directly known the limit of what's not to be experienced through the allness of the all. Or what has not been experienced, directly known the extent of what has not been experienced. So he's knowing the extent of what can't be cannot be experienced. He knows the limits of the all. Mm. That's the limit of the octave, that's all. I wasn't the all. I wasn't in the all. I wasn't coming forth from the all. I wasn't the all is mine. I didn't affirm the all. He didn't affirm or negate. He said, there's an all. There's an apparent all. And there's... Um, there is beyond. <clears throat> and that's why Gautama is saying, consciousness without surface, endless, radiant all around, has not been experienced through the earthiness or earthness of earth or liquidity, fiery, windiness, wind, the allness of the all. Oh. And that was it. And so the points are, the footnotes are eight and nine down the page. Um, and we go back to where we were. Kanasaro says, uh, pulling from Samutta Nikaya 3523, what is the all? Right? Sabe, uh, sutta. The eyes and forms, ear and sounds, nose, aromas, taste and flavor, body, tactile sensations, idea, intellect and ideas, this is termed the all. Alright, so he's talking about something beyond that. And point nine explains Vijnana Manidasanam, <clears throat> relates to Samutta Nikaya 1264, which was this dialogue where the monks asked, uh, or Gautama started, just as if there were a roofed house or a roofed hall, having windows on the north, the south, or the east, when the sun rises or a ray has entered by way of the window, where does it land? 
on the western wall, Lord. And if there's no western wall, where does it land? On the ground, Lord. Pante. And if there's no ground, where does it land? On the water. Pante. And if there's no water, where does it land? It doesn't land, Lord. Pante. Okay, so if there's no surface, there's no landing. And he goes on from the sutta, uh, which we looked at before. In the same way, where there's no passion for the nutriment of physical food or contact, intellectual intention, consciousness, this is uh, uh, Paticca Samupada, the dependent origination, Nidanas, the links in the chain. Basically, how step by step, um, by ignorance based mental activity and desire, there is a round of birth and death appearing and passing away in, uh, the, oct- in the dimensions of the octave or in the 31 planes. And so where there's no passion or where there's no desire, where there's no delight, no craving, then consciousness does not land there or grow, right? So that's fifth skanda, dualistic, uh, ignorance-based consciousness. Where consciousness does not land or grow, name and form, namarupa, does not alight. There's no landing or establishing of naming and perceiving distinct forms, meaning multiplicity. On the other hand, he's not attached to unity either or he's not saying that, he's not affirming unity either. Where name and form doesn't alight, there's no growth of fabrication, meaning sankara. No growth of sankara, no production of renewed becoming baba in the future. So there's no rebirth. Where there's no production of renewed becoming in the future, there's no future birth, aging, and death. That, I tell you, has no sorrow, affliction, or despair. And so, it's pretty clear in the sutta that Gautama is not talking about um, higher jhanas, boom. He's talking about attainment, and basically said quite directly uh, that uh, the extent, knowing directly knowing the extent of what has not been experienced through the allness of the all, directly knowing I would say the extent of what cannot be. It's not been experienced through the allness of the all because it cannot be experienced through the all. It is not of the all. But that all is not a infinite all, it's a apparently infinite all. The allness of the all is an apparent infinite, but not a real infinite because it's ultimately all based in avidya. And there's something beyond this all when one goes beyond avidya. Tenth fetter. Boom. So beyond craving, one goes beyond avidya. Beyond avidya, one goes beyond the all. Beyond that, one will know that there is Life beyond the octave, or life beyond the illusory all, the illusory, apparently infinite, which is really finite and, and based in avidya. It's not actually infinity, it's a pseudo-infinity. So light is a pseudo-infinity, but it's actually a created product. Of course, light is, has a source, the preluminal. That's, Ra said, the action of free will upon love. Infinite will upon infinite love gives rise to light, of course. And so, Tanasaro goes on and says, in other words, normally normal sensory consciousness, meaning consciousness, dualistic, fitskanda, associated with identification with the five body senses and the mental sense, is experienced because it has a surface against which it lands. And the surface actually is a vidya. 
<laughs> the surface is not the sense organs and their objects, as far as I can tell. He says the sense organs and their objects, which constitute the all. Um, maybe, but actually Gautama still has a nose that can detect scent, and so he still has a sense organ. It's just that he knows, he, he's beyond differentiation and beyond name and form. And so that's beyond multiplicity, but he's also beyond its polar opposite called unity. And so he's beyond the all, which is all polarized and relative. And so Tanisaro explains, consciousness, consciousness without surface, however, is directly known, without intermediary, free from any dependence on conditions at all. And um, he said, some have objected to the equation of this consciousness with Nibbana. That's where Ajahn Sujato is coming from. On the grounds that Nibbana is nowhere else in the Pali Canon described as a form of consciousness. Right, because it's Vijnana is reserved as Fitzkanda consciousness, uh, an element. Thus they have proposed that consciousness without surface, vijnanam, anidasanam, be regarded as an arahant's consciousness of nibbana in meditative experience and not nibbana itself. Actually, Gautama's not talking that way <laughs> in this sutta. And so people bring in, they just don't like the word vijnanam. That's it. These are very strict constructionists in Buddhism who don't, can't accept that the word vijnanam could ever be used, like the Brahmins and Vedantas do, for uh, complete and perfect enlightenment on binding. They just object that it's got to, it can't be used simultaneously as one of the five skandhas or aggregates that is of the all and, and is illusory and based in ignorance and uh, desire and needs to be dropped and extinguished, really and also be used for um, a uh, awareness experience beyond the all. Used for that which is within the all and outside the all. The same word, vijnana, they can't ha take that. <clears throat> but it could be, if you're just a little looser. Okay, it's a kind of... Because the point is, the Arahant and Gautama, they are not extinguished. They have some kind of awareness, you know. And so... What's the big problem using the word vijnanam anidasanam? It's not just vijnanam. It's added to the phrase without surface. And <clears throat> and so it, it's... Uh, he's saying... Uh, given that consciousness... Given that this consciousness, right, uh, anidasanam, is independent of the six senses, meaning it's outside the allness of the five skandhas, and that at the death of the arahant, the six senses simply grow cold. Ah, from another Itivutaka, I think, 44. Then such an event should have no effect on it. And that's all. That's the point. <clears throat> this consciousness without surface, independent of the six senses, is independent of Vijnana, fifth skandha. And at the death of the Arahan, the six senses grow cold, and that's called the fire burn extinguished. That's Nibbana as no flame, Nirvana as no flame. That's one way of reading it. So, including consciousness goes, grows cold. There's no more. There's no more arising of dualistic, subjectivist 
uh, illusory or il ignorance-based consciousness. But there is some mind or awareness beyond. And so such an event has no effect on it. It's just that uh, the extremes or illusory experiences are finished. <clears throat> and so... Uh, interestingly enough, also in another sutta... which is called Kamaguna Sutta, Strings of Sensuality, Samutta Nikaya 35.17. This is where we, we find the dreaded word dimension. And Gautama said straight up, I mean, Tanisaro translated it, maybe he's wrong, but I don't know. He said, therefore, monks, that dimension should be experienced where the eye or vision ceases and perception or mental labeling of form fades. <clears throat> perception, uh, similar to conception, mental labeling. The dimension should be experienced where the ear ceases and perception of sound fades. That dimension should be experienced where the nose ceases and the perception of aroma fades. That dimension should be experienced where the tongue ceases, no more tongue, and the perception of flavor fades. That dimension should be experienced where the body ceases and perception of tactile sensation fades. That dimension, same same dimension, by the way, should be experienced where the intellect ceases and the perception of idea fades. That dimension should be experienced. So, <laughs> a dreaded word, dimension, dimensionality, uh, dimension word, the word of dimensions being used implying a dimensionality beyond the five body senses and the mind sense, where the intellect even, be way beyond embodiment, even sixth density, Intellect ceases and perception of idea fades, meaning that's illusory too. <clears throat> and um, he actually, Tanisaro's note, which talks about the dialect of the phrase, which is a little a little specialized here, uh, also includes the phrase that uh, it should be understood, this dimension beyond an experience of sense organs, including intellect, and sense objects, including thought, or the elements of consciousness, where one should experience, should, one should understand this dimension which seems like nirvana, nirvana or the end, uh, he says that veditabe uh, in the passage translated as should be understood that dimension beyond the senses and their objects or dualistic experience is translated should be understood, but the term usually means, more usually means should be felt or should be experienced, should be known by experiencing. Because the dimension, dimension, Buddhism talking about dimension, as the goal, the dimension described here falls under the third noble truth, ho-ho, the, the truth of uh, the end of suffering, called nirvana. <clears throat> the duty with regard to it is to realize it, meaning we realize nirvana by practicing the path and ceasing what should be ceased and developing what should be developed. 
So the duty with regard to it is to realize it rather than simply understanding it. But it's the same. <laughs> you really understand it when you realize it. And you know it by experiencing it. But the um, experiencing, while experienced also, could is normally associated with dualistic sense of subject, experience, and object. I, Scott, experience the sound of my words coming out of my mouth now. Lots of subject-object there. Yet, uh, there is non-dual experience, uh, but it can't really be explained in, in words. Uh, and one can say that the true nature of the apparently dualistic is the non-dual. But the non-dual is beyond unity. That's the point. And that's where, yes, indeed, Vedantists fall. I mean, Buddhists have their own ways of falling, too, <laughs> like, like we're talking about. But one, Buddha, one, one fall for the Vedantists seems to me to be to reject the, to rightly reject um, uh, any kind of substantiality to multiplicity, right? The many, the many, the many is many, it's not one. They reject that. They say, they would say, uh, all the many is one. However, then they're attached to the concept of one and the conceptual experience that the many is one, and that's the way it is. Buddhism goes beyond that too and rejects the mind as well. The Buddhism rejects um, the products of dualistic consciousness, including um, the experience of a relative uh, formlessness. And that's where a lot of Vedantins got stuck, like raw material students. <laughs> there is one, all is one. Um, while that's truly non-duality, uh, affirmation of unity is itself duality, is itself of duality. So duality is illusory, but so is its antidote, unity. So the true nature, a deeper level of the nature of what appears to be many or, the du or duality is one. And yet that one, while it's um, both a thought and may well be experienced, uh, we become light. Uh, holding to that is actually a holding to an idea. And um, <clears throat> based in, in, it's a temporary production of Nama, Nama Rupa, naming of unity with the form that uh, I is light. <laughs> All right. So um, the dimension beyond the senses and the intellect should be understood and known by direct experience. But that direct experience beyond the all is ultimately beyond any sense of self as well. And that's uh, not, uh, I, I can't really resolve that today, The <laughs> where Brahmanical or Vedantic self-realization with a capital S is uh, ultimately, in my view, not um, contradictory to the Buddhist understanding of nirvana as uh, a no-self. The point is that Gautama did not say there is no self. He, he really said you can't, what, both self, both saying there is a self and there's no self, of affirmation and negation, they're both extremes. That's the point. So to say there is and there isn't in terms of cosmology or selfhood is in both cases unhelpful. Now the final word goes to George Harrison. Tomorrow never knows. You know the song, 1966. Turn off your mind, relax, and float downstream. 
it is not dying it is not dying meaning letting go and thoughtlessness uh, conscious awareness without thinking is not a dying it's actually a freeing lay down all thoughts surrender to the void it is shining it is shining right so thought beyond thought or silence of mind in a steady state which appears to be a void a, to be void of thought or a void of silence is yet bright and real and alive yet you may see the meaning of within it is being it is being so what is within is being uh, prior to doing love is all and love is everyone it is knowing it is knowing it is yana right so <laughs> uh, gnosis is uh, metta <laughs> loving-kindness or pema prem love is all right so all is uh, light whose nature is love love light so the all of the <laughs> seven dimensions and Gautama's talking about sabe sabe dhamma its nature is love but it's not fourth chakra love it's not dualistic love it's uh, boundless love which really is prior to differentiation and love is everyone the true nature of beings is that same logoic love light that ignorance and hates may mourn the dead it is believing it is believing and so um, the problem with belief humans believe rather than know religious and spiritual truth commonly many people believe far more than they've experienced <laughs> so there's no substitute for gnosis there's no substitute for experience and trial and error is fine but from belief uh, there may be ignorance and hate that mourn the dead or remain in ignorant uh, belief uh, based dogmatism or dogma then he goes on but listen to the color of your dreams it's not living it's not living the point is <laughs> we're not living we are and uh, living is a form of doing and being is so I is and in this in these vehicles of appearance called body mind spirit or the seven dimensional apparent self of the octave uh, I is doing so I is doing with the constituents of an apparent sense of self the five skandhas and the seven dimensional energy fields of the seven chakras that's the threefold octavic self right that threefold octavic self is doing but it's the I and I is doing and I is there using but I is independent of um, the vehicles now you can also say that um, the vehicles um, you see the vehicles are of light and I is of the source of light that's a distinction that's the point um, while the source is the same the source is the one infinite creator or the source of all the source of the metaphysical and the physical while the source of the octaves and the source of uh, I and the source of light is the same 
there is a distinction in sequence between the eye that speaks and the vehicles of light that it uses. <laughs> so, <clears throat> anyway, if you listen to the color of your dreams or feel the seven-ray quality of mind, you will see that um, it's not living. It's not living. Uh, it is. And it, its presence or being is, in a sense, prior to the doing of living. The doing of living is secondary to the being of presence. Then he ends. So play the game existence to the end, right? 31 planes, 7 dimensions. The end of the beginning, 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 and two more. <laughs> the game existence to the end of the beginning, of the beginning, the end of the beginning. Uh, this octave is the beginning. And ending, we end where we started. And so that'll be it for today. And I hope it was useful. <laughs> Finally, we'll go beyond Sundaraka Bharadvaja uh, and see the all and the limits of the all and what appears to be uh, prior to or outside or beyond the all, beyond range, although it's way beyond conception. Uh, and I think George Harrison got it pretty clearly. <clears throat> uh, I believe this is his song. In any case, thank you very much for being here. I do pray you're well. Take good care of yourselves in this difficult time on planet Earth. See you next time, and good night. <laughs>